morning. Open with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we are going to spend some time here today thinking what Paul is saying to us. I've entitled this message, Increasing Sin, Overcoming Grace. Increasing Sin, Overcoming Grace. I told you all a story last week. I said I'd finish chapter 5. It's not going to happen. We're looking at verses 20 through 21, but we're going to be looking at 20 only. Uh, And I want us to understand what Paul has been doing throughout the passage. He's been focusing on Christ by drawing a compare and contrast with Adam, uh, a type of Christ, if you will. And he's done that to demonstrate that the only means to salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He has laid out justification and says that God justifies through faith. And that's the only way. And he's argued in the first four chapters against the thought that anyone can perform well enough to save themselves. There's no law that will save them. And that's one of the things that Paul is driving to now. Uh, Paul, in chapter 5, none of chapter 5 does he talk about the law until now. He hasn't mentioned the law until now. You'll say, well, up there in verse 13, he says, for indeed, uh, sin was indeed in the world before the law. It's kind of like, He's not mentioning the law. He's mentioning its absence. There was no law during the time that he was speaking of. So this is the first time that he brings the law into his argument. Because his argument is centered on that Christ is the only means of salvation. And so Paul is is bringing this to bear. Um, why hasn't he mentioned that? Because in talking about Jesus as the only means of salvation, as the only means of redeeming what Adam did, he's letting us know the law is not a savior. (laughs) The law cannot save. It seems that Paul is addressing perhaps some skeptics who are asking him, what about the law? You've been talking about Adam. You've been talking about Christ. You're saying that what Christ has done uh, has overcome what Adam did. What about the law? And so he's going to answer that to his original audience, and he's going to answer, give us the same answer. I'd like you to see two things. First, I want you to see the first phrase of verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. I want you to see in that first phrase that 
Paul is teaching that God gave the law to convict and to convince us of sin. That's why he gave the law. Second, I want you to see in the second part of verse 20 that Paul teaches that despite the increase of sin by the law, grace has been even more expanding. He says there, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's great news. Grace has superabounded despite the increase of sin. So my two points today are, number one, the law intensifies our problem rather than saves us. The law intensifies our problem rather than saves us. Secondly, Grace superabounds over ever-increasing sin. So let's look at the, the law. The law intensifies. Look how now the law, he says now the law. He's bringing up something that he hasn't spoken about. Just in the way that he presents that tells us that. Now the law does something. Um. The law came in to increase the trespass. Paul is saying that one reason the law was given was to convict and convince us of sin. That's one reason the law was given. Notice I said one reason. Paul is not giving a, a comprehensive understanding of the law here. He's giving an understanding as it pertains to what he has been saying theologically, referring to Adam and this sin, this trespass of Adam, and how Christ brings righteousness. One brings condemnation. One brings righteousness. There's more to the law than what Paul says here. But this is one reason is what Paul is giving now. He, he wants us and he wants his hearers to understand that the law is not a savior. It was never intended to be a savior. The law has never saved nor justified anyone whatsoever. Instead, he wants us to understand that the law intensifies our problem. The problem that came forward because of Adam. The law actually intensifies that. It makes it bigger. It intensifies the problem. Look what it says. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. What's he saying? The purpose of the law is to increase the trespass. That's the purpose of the law that Paul is bringing forward. Now, wait a minute. Y'all objecting yet? Wait. Hold up. 
Are, are you saying that God gave the law so that sin would increase? Are you saying God caused sin to increase? Are you saying that God wanted to wanted sin to increase, and so He gave the law to Moses? Are you saying that God desired us to sin more? What's the obvious answer to that? No. And what does it mean? I only have two points, but I got four points under my first point. So let me give you a four part to that. And what's Paul doing when he says this, this thing? Now the law came in. The law came in. Into the world to increase the trespass. What's he saying? First, he's being argumentative. That's the first thing. He's being argumentative. Secondly, he's showing us a limited view of the law. Thirdly, he's telling us that the law is instructive. And fourthly, he says that the law provokes. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. Paul's speaking to the descendants of those who were in exile in Babylon. He's speaking to those who uh, their, their, their ancestors rebelled against God and they were taken out of the land and they were exiled. And these are the people that have come back. These are the people who have descended from those who returned to the land. And although they're a people, they do not have borders and boundaries to where they're a recognized nation. They're under the domination of Rome at the time. And Paul's answer that he gives them is hard on them because the one thing that sets the Jews apart from everybody else in Rome or anywhere else, one thing sets them apart. The law that God gave down, handed down to Moses. One thing. And their thought is that God gave us this law to distinguish us from all other nations. Paul is after maximum offense when you think about it in those terms. He is seeking to offend them with what he's about to say. And it's this. The law came not to distinguish you from other people. The law came to increase sin. What? Can you, imagine, can you see what the Jews are thinking? I mean, they, he might as well punched them in the face. Slapped them upside the head. It's not about distinguishing you. <laughs> the law came in to increase sin. To increase the trespass. 
So he wants this shocking news to recalibrate them because what he's been pointing to the whole time is Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone as means of salvation. Faith in Christ to be justified. He's trying to, he he wants to redirect them to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law of righteousness. And so he says, the law came for a different purpose than you think. It came to increase the trespass. The second thing I want us to see is that Paul is pointing to the law in a limited, partial way. He's not telling us everything about the law. I mentioned that already. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But we know that Paul thinks more of the law than that from other texts. He's not saying everything there is to say about the law. And it's important to understand that. And I'll tell you why. Because some will take this text to mean that the law or the Old Testament is irrelevant to us as believers. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Someone would interpret this as, hey, Paul said that the law came to increase the trespass. It's of no benefit to us. Yes, it is. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and Galatians and later on here in Romans chapter 7, which I read uh, for, during my pastoral prayer this morning, that the law has great benefit. It is good and it is righteous and it is holy. And if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't know what coveting is. So he's not saying that it's irrelevant. He's not saying that it has no use for us. He's only speaking in partial ways concerning the law at this point. He's taking one aspect of the law. And the primary thing that he's saying there is that it is incapable of saving you. It's incapable of rescuing you. You can't obey the law and be saved as a result. Paul wants us to know that truth. And so he's emphasizing it. He's looking at the law in a limited way and saying, Jews, you can't be saved by the law. Paul says that the law is helpful and necessary to believers living out the new life we have been given. 
The law is helpful to help us to be sanctified and made new. The law helps us to understand what God's will is and how he wants us to walk in obedience. Paul wants to understand, wants the people to understand the law won't save you. Obedience to the law won't save you. Secondly, or thirdly, the law is instructive. Paul is saying that the law came in to increase the trespass. In doing that, it's teaching us something. By showing us our sin. The law has been given to teach us what sin is. It teaches us by exposing sin in us. This is what is right. Well, I hadn't been doing that, sinner. <laughs> Isn't that what the law does? It informs us. It explains to us that we need grace. The old Reformed theologians referred to this as the second use of the law. James refers to the law as a mirror. I mean, when you get up first thing in the morning and you look in that mirror, some of you say, I don't go to the mirror first thing in the morning. Well, I don't either, but they're hard to escape sometimes, you know. And you look, and there's no makeup, and, you know, you hadn't... Wait, I don't wear makeup? <laughs> okay, just clarify. I was speaking on behalf of the ladies. The hair's kind of disheveled, okay? Don't laugh. My hair's never disheveled, okay? But I do need a fresh shave now and then, like this morning. It was looking pretty rough this morning, but there it went. Much better, don't you think? The law is like a mirror, James says. And what the law says reveals what I'm not like. It reveals what God's like. But it doesn't reveal what I'm like. It says, this is holiness. And I, when I read that description, I realize how little I, I meet that. Don't you? It's not a pretty reflection. When the law is like a mirror. What Paul is communicating is that uh, the law came in to increase the trespass by showing you sin and your sin. The law leads us to the Savior. It's not the Savior. It leads us to the Savior. It instructs us. Uh, Paul, in another place, says that the law is our teacher, pedagogue, in the Greek. 
pedagogue was a servant in the household that took the kids to school. We, we translated as teacher, but they're the ones who took the kids to school. They would take them to the place where they would learn from another. The law is a teacher in that it leads us to the place where we are taught. And that is to Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our teacher. He is our Redeemer. And the law leads us, instructs us to Jesus He's the fulfillment of the law of righteousness. The law shows us the ugliness of our sin. If you've ever read The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Victor, you go, one of the things that you find is you find a dialogue going on between Quasimodo and this beautiful thing that he has captured. And she's crying, and he says to her, why are you crying? And she says to him, well, you're crying. And Quasimodo says, well, yes, I am crying. And she says, well, why are you crying? And he says to her, because I never knew how ugly I was until I saw how beautiful you are. That's the law. That's the law. The law shows us our own ugliness, how sinful we are. And how desperate we are for a Savior. You never knew how ugly you were until you saw how beautiful God is in the law. It's important to understand that prior to the law, it was not a morally relativistic world that they lived in. If you would have been there in the day in which Cain murdered Abel, you would have known that was wrong. You would have known it. They knew what was right and wrong. You would have known that Abraham taking his wife and saying, hey, she's my sister, was wrong. And the commandments that did not exist were being broken. The law affirmed these things as wrong and put on display the depth of the sinfulness of mankind. But they didn't know. Gerhardus Voss said legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship. Legalism is obedience to the law that saves you, <laughs> in a sense. 
And it's taking things that cannot save you and making them supreme. Legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. It obeys, but it does not adore. Paul's saying, hey, Jews, the point of the law is not to save you. It's to cause you to adore the living God. It's to cause you to adore and to worship with all that you have. This one who has loved you and saved you. It's to cause you to look to Jesus Christ in adoration. I think we get that mixed up sometimes. I think there are times that we believe that obedience causes us to adore God. And I believe very much that Paul teaches here as well as other places that it's adoration that causes our obedience. It's our love for him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not... You will keep my commandments if you love me. Adoration. That's what happens to us when we get saved, isn't it? When we come to know Christ, isn't it amazing that he saves us? Anybody happy about that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When did grace stop being amazing to you? When's the last time you wept knowing and realizing and God showing you from His Word and from the Spirit that you are His child? How often do we take for granted that we are saved? And that by no means of ourself. Obedience doesn't bring you to adoration. Seeking to obey to win the favor of God doesn't bring you to adore Him. It brings you into despair. I was in a conversation not long ago about Martin Luther. And here's this guy, and this is how it was put to me. Here's this guy who was saved, but he was so miserable. And oh, oh, oh. No, he was miserable and unsaved. His misery was all about him 
attempting to perform so that God would be pleased and he realized he could not do it. And he read those words. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. Adoration kicked in. Love kicked in. And this guy was changed. He never got all the... uh, Never got all the sanctification done in him. He was pretty rowdy after he came to know Christ. Said some things, very blunt. I've told Josh before, Luther makes me feel pretty good about myself. Paul is pointing to one place for salvation, for justification, and it's faith in Jesus Christ and him alone and nobody else. And nothing else. And no performance. Not obedience. It does not save you. It cannot save you. Obedience to the law cannot do. And so Paul is harping on that, just like I am, just like I have been. And his aim is to get us to adore him. We're going to see that unfold more and more in chapter 6, but we're going to see it unfold more and more in verse 21 too. Next time. So the law instructs us and it teaches us. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law provokes. Maybe an indication that the law provokes sin. If you've ever had a two-year-old and you say, Don't touch that. What'd you just do? What are they going to do? They're going to reach out and touch it, aren't they? Don't, Don't touch that. Don't eat that spinach. The law came in to reveal that we're rebels at heart. We really are. We are rebels at heart. It came in to increase the trespass. And it provokes us. And that's what we're like. I mean, 
at the core of our nature, what Adam brought in was rebellion against God. We're rebellious. You say, well, Rick, I'm redeemed now. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're a redeemed rebel, all right? Every one of us. All of us are. We're redeemed sinners. We're redeemed rebels. At the same time, saints, children of the living God. The law provokes. Don't touch that. (laughs) What's this? Hold my coffee. That's the Baptist form there. Watch me do this. Watch me do what you tell me I can't do. Isn't that what Paul, one of the things he's saying in Romans chapter 7? The thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. We'll do more on that later. So the law intensifies our problem rather than saves us. Which is why this next phrase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Isn't that happy news? Isn't it great to remember and to recall what I've said before? That God's grace in the life of the believer continuously outpaces our sinfulness. Grace superabounds. And it's that thought that's going to bring the question of chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. You don't have to. Not to mention, Paul is speaking very specifically here in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Notice the definite article and the singular. singular. But where sin, or may I say, where the sin increased. Once again, definite article, singular. I think he's pointing to Adam's sin. And contextually, that's exactly what it seems to be doing. The sin of Adam that brought sin to all mankind is ever increasing. It is at its peak today. You say, well, how so? Well, let me tell you something. As population grows, so does sin. The effect of what Adam did is continuing today. I would venture to say and submit to you that there is more sin in the world today than has ever been because there is more in population today than has ever been. And all mankind have this sin nature in them and do evil as a result of it. Sin is ever increasing. 
It's not merely increased by the commission of sin, but by the expanding population. More people means more sin. And the only reason things haven't come completely unhinged is the common grace of God. And the only reason that anyone is saved today is by the particular grace of God. And he is saying, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It just keeps on going. It keeps on saving. He keeps on redeeming. He's saying sin's evident everywhere. And the reason it's evident everywhere is to show you that you need a Savior. Is to show you that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. Why is sin ever expanding? And it's just bubbling over into all kinds of sinfulness in the world so that people will see their need for a Savior. No, I have had a whole lot of people speak to me about the war going on in Israel. Rick, what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think about Israel's response? You think there needs to be a ceasefire? No, there needs to be justice. So that's what I think in that term. Why, why do you think God's allowing all this happen? So you will see you need a Savior. That's why. <laughs> People know I'm a preacher. Hey, what do you think about Israel? God wants you to know you need a Savior. <laughs> We've been talking about evangelism on Sunday nights. Guess what? We have a built-in way into the gospel right now in the headlines every single day. Why do you think God's letting this happen in Israel? So you'll see you need a Savior. Sin, this trespass came in. The law came in so that the trespass would increase. Oh, and it's still increasing. It's still prevalent. So wait a minute, Rick. Talk to me about that superabounding grace. Stop depressing me. You need a savior. That's the best news there is. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. That's where the superabounding grace comes in. He did what he didn't have to do. He saved you. Anybody saved in here? He didn't have to save you. He could have just taken you out. He didn't have to save anybody. And he would still be a just, righteous God. <laughs> Super abounding grace. It's constantly moving forward. He said, here's my solution for ever-increasing sin. For sin that does not cease to grow 
because people do not cease to be born. My solution is my son, Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He who knew no sin, he became sin for you. The just, my son, died for the unjust, all of you, to bring you to God. This is grace that superabounds beyond our sin. You know what our instant solution to sin is? Apart from Jesus Christ. Actually, even if we know Jesus, we'll do this. We deny it. We hide it. We think, boy, if they knew this, what would they think? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what you do? Well, if they knew this about me, nobody would love me. Have you ever thought that? Well, if they, if they knew I had looked at this, or they knew that I had done this, or they knew that I think this way, they would all reject me. That's our instant solution. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Paul's saying that God says, I do know you. And I do know that about you. And I do know you looked at that. And I do know that you did this. And I do know that you thought this. And I love you. And here is my son. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that is what? Greater than all my sin. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why sin, or that's why the law came in. So that everyone would see, I need a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by any works of the law, not by any obedience to you accept the obedience of believing your promise and believing your son. I am so thankful that that's what saves us. And I am so thankful that in saving us, your promise is to transform us and make us new. And so, God, help us to see how you're doing that. Help us to walk in obedience to your word for the sake of sanctification and becoming more holy and becoming more 
like you. Help us, God, to be gracious and loving to those who have not trusted Christ and help us to be faithful to make known to them this message of life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help us to be faithful in repentance day in and day out. And Father, I thank you that you give us a faith that cannot be shaken. And so, Lord, help us to keep believing, no matter what, in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing our final song, Only Trust Him. Thank you.